here. Hi, I'm Dr. Dovet, and she's a dietitian. Hello, I'm Hannah Schuyler, and together we are the Doctor Dietitian, dietitian Collab. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, welcome. Today we are going to be talking about just some bariatric basics. Kind of getting back to our our beginning here. Yeah, let's get back to our roots. And a lot of people ask uh, when I say I'm a bariatric surgeon and you're a bariatric dietitian, does that mean old people? They think geriatric yeah. or bariatric is that barbaric? Like they don't know what it is. So what is bariatric surgery? Bariatric surgery is weight loss surgery. It's a metabolic operation. It improves, uh, of course, weight loss, but also your health and your metabolism. So it will help to improve or resolve over 40 different obesity-related comorbidities. Wow, that is absolutely incredible. And you know, I do this every day and that number still is just like phenomenal to me. I mean, the idea, you know, with bariatric surgery, like I don't think people recognize that. I think some people do know. They're like, okay, it's the weight loss surgery, mm-hmm. but I don't think they know all of those other things. So, what are some of the some of the the things that may be helped with bariatric surgery? One of the biggest ones is diabetes. Okay. Is uh, type one, type two diabetes, is insulin resistance, pre diabetes, even its association with PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which results in unwanted facial hair or a central distribution to your weight or even infertility. The they are improved or resolved almost instantaneously after surgery to the point where over 98% of our type 2 diabetic patients will leave the hospital right after their surgeries on none other diabetes medication right after. That's one of my favorite things when oh, I see people same. like they're, you know, we have our Facebook group and everything and people are like, my blood sugar was 80 today and I haven't taken anything and it used to be 350. Mm. And if you don't know anything about blood sugar, just know that 350 is very high and 80 is normal. So like, it's amazing. It is so amazing. I have patients who, in order to have surgery, your hemoglobin A1C, which is a lab test that that summarizes kind of like a three-month average of what your blood sugars are, you want that to be less than six. And I have some that's over 10. And that's associated with walking around with extremely elevated blood sugars. And you just don't even realize how bad you feel until you don't. Right. And uh, and so we have to actually cancel some patients if their hemoglobin A1Cs are over 10 beforehand. But I also think it makes those patients really not take it for granted. Like I'm all in. And when I see these results, it's like, oh my goodness, I, I had to do this. This was, why did I do this sooner? We hear yeah. that all the time. Oh, that, that's, that's the most common thing when people are like, do you have any regrets? I regret I didn't do it sooner. Definitely. All the time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So when we when we're talking about about bariatric surgery and this comes into the the play some of these other comorbidities but like the people that qualify for bariatric surgery basically there's kind of two ways to qualify right so if you have we use the BMI which mm-hmm. we can talk about another time the BMI <laughs> but we use it as just a metric and so basically if your BMI is 35 and up and you have a comorbidity so something like diabetes PCOS sleep apnea high uh, high blood pressure that's another big one mm-hmm. um you would qualify for surgery if your BMI is over 40 you qualify for surgery on your own you don't need the comorbidity to to qualify Yep, exactly. So it is based on BMI. And if you're out there wondering, you're pre-op, you're thinking about this, just if you don't know your BMI, just go to a BMI calculator, Google it, and um, you'll enter your height and your weight, and it'll uh, spit out a number. So if it's over 35, go ahead and come in and see us or a bariatric surgeon um, in your neck of the woods. Yeah. 
Um, so, so with that, obviously we know, so those are some of the benefits. What are some of the other kind of benefits that come along with bariatric surgery? I mean, I think, you know, we talked in episode one a lot about your why and, you know, just why you want to live your best life and, and, and how that ties into your weight and your health and, and then ultimately getting the surgery. I think that even beyond the health benefits, because some patients have no, no, comorbidities or no health issues, and they don't want them either. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's just preventative. Um, They maybe have saw their own, maybe a parent struggle with their weight, and it was always, gosh, I don't want that to be me. And so there's that aspect. But there's also, I think the biggest aspect is the quality of life. I mean, life is worth living here. And I think sometimes um, you're on the sidelines of life. And you know, we're here in Orlando, which just happens to have some world-class attractions and some beautiful um, theme parks. And and I, I've heard stories um, more often than probably any other reason. It was that a person was in line for a roller coaster or a ride and they were anxious, like, man, am I going to fit? Like a legitimate concern. And then I even hear stories of I went to sit on the ride. I was excited. I was there with my, my child or with my friend or just by myself ready to, to do this, sit down and the bar doesn't come down. Or I can't get in. My, my knees won't even let me lower myself into this little seat. And then I had to do the walk of shame where I'm, I'm literally humiliated as I'm walked off of this. And it's like, when did this happen? So I think there's like these these bigger what we call now like non-scale victories when those things turn around, but those those quality of life moments where you have clothes that fit, you feel confident, you have your mojo, you're taking pictures, you're feeling like put myself out there, you're feeling more more you know expressive in the world, and I think that those are also a byproduct of having these surgeries. Yeah, and we talked a little bit about last time too, like there's the work aspect of things. Like you may get paid more, mm. you know, which that about society is, again, a whole other thing. Yeah. It's, it's wrong that we're not – people aren't paid equally. But, you know, potentially you can improve. You can move up in the world. You can move up in your job or, or things like that. Oh, um, yeah. And people then, go back to school. Yeah. Um, I love that when people are like, I'm going to invest in myself now. Yeah. It's like this wonderful snowball. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, okay, the weight is coming off. I feel better. I'm going to go to the gym more. I'm going to um, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to um, – and, and that's what you need. Sometimes you just need that, that catalyst to change, that little like – let me like just – push things in the right direction rather than the heavier I get, the less I can move. And the less I can move, the more sick I get, and the more medications I need, the more copays. I mean, we can go down this vicious cycle, but you can pull yourself out of that quicksand. Absolutely. And you mentioned earlier too, infertility. That's something that we see that you are, you have a much higher risk of, not risk, but p- potential of, of pregnancy after. That might be a warning for some of you. Yes. No doubt about it's it. It's a warning <laughs> slash positive. Yeah. It depends on where you are in your life. But um, yeah, so definitely some, some, big health benefits. And then, like you said, a lot of those non-scale, non-health benefits, traveling, Mm. you know, playing with your grandkids on the floor, Mm. uh, the theme parks, like swimming, wearing the clothes that you like to see. You know, I think that people are like, I want to be able to wear what's fashionable, what's trendy. And of course, anyone can wear those things, but you may feel more comfortable and confident doing it. You know, definitely later down the line. Definitely. So obviously there's risks, but it's surgery. So we yep. know that there's potential for some sort of 
or I'm sorry, there's benefits. We know there's potential for some sort of risk. Sure. So like what what do you think? What is the most like common risk that you So, you know, the the common surgeries that we perform are the gastric bypass, which we'll talk about in more detail, the sleeve gastrectomy, revisional surgeries. We'll talk about some of the fads, some of the things that have come and gone, and some of the up-and-coming potential things. Um, so we'll get into the details. And I think that when you look at, should I have surgery? People are very um, scared because it is surgery, like you said. Like So like they'll ask, like, what are the risks? And that's kind of hard to like just put out there. I'd say the biggest risk is dehydration. And dehydration typically happens in the beginning where you're just sort of figuring it out. You can't drink fast in the beginning. It's a lot of sips, the volume that you can, can that you can handle that you get full off of a sip of water, which is like, whoa. Um, and so it's just kind of that early adjustment period, which I feel like any reputable bariatric center would help you to, to work with the dietitian to help to um, kind of make those changes. Other big things is in terms of um, making sure you're compliant. So a little bit longer term out if you're not taking your vitamin, you're not taking your calcium citrate, which we'll talk a lot about, you could have legitimate nutritional deficiencies, which um, would be a potential risk. Um, some some real big things, even neuropathies, um, you know, vitamin D, vitamin B1, vitamin B12, um, indirect, um, we look at the PTH, which is looking at calcium. So we will make sure that you guys know exactly what you need to do. Other short-term risks, um, the scarier things would be um, a leak, or a bleed, um, or even a blood clot, like a blood clot in your leg called a deep venous thrombosis, or even scarier, a blood clot in your lungs called a pulmonary embolism. Um, you could have a heart attack. Um, very, very, very low risk, though, ultimately. And um, that's why we do certain clearances to make sure that you are clinically as, um, as safe and as optimized as possible for these somewhat elective procedures. Right. Yeah, and we'll talk a little about the insurance and the elective versus the non-elective versus people still consider this a cosmetic surgery. I've heard that from oh, some yeah. insurance companies, mm. which is mind-boggling. But um, yeah, and I, you know, from from my perspective and seeing patients all the time, and this is what you know I do, and I I tend to see the people that are having problems. Right, the people that are doing great don't call me. They're like, I'm doing great. Sometimes they'll call me and be like, Is it okay that I'm doing this well? <laughs> I like love they're that. mostly concerned, and I'm like. No, can you go give a lecture to some other people? Oh. I would love it, you know. Um, but it is. It's just getting over that. And it's usually that first four to six weeks where we see it's just that initial. And some of it's sometimes, too, not even the physical, like, side effects, but the mental of, like, what have I gotten myself mm. into? And then I'll talk to people. I'll follow back up with them later. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, no, we're good now. Like, everything is smooth. Like, we're feeling good. Everything's moving along. And, and they get over that kind of, like, Oh, Lord. I, I think that the majority of people, just so that you guys all know, do have some degree of buyer's remorse. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, I always think about this like it is a a relationship. And this this person, you had great times. My God, the memories. Oh, and it's with food. And it's, and it's sort of like that. Or even the lifestyle or even the way that you interact with your own family and friends a lot of it has to do with like eating and those sorts of things. And so now it feels almost like, wait, why am I punished? Why was that stripped away from me? I didn't do, like you said, all the mental hard work to really be able to cope with this. And I miss him. I miss him. But he was abusive. He was abusive or she was abusive in this. And and it is okay to move on and to focus on yourself. And oh, that is a challenging thing in the beginning. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Um, and I know that everybody hears these stories of like, oh, my aunt's brother-in-law's oh, fourth cousin's, you know, long lost nephew died from surgery. Mm. And, you, you know, you mentioned last episode, like you've had one death since since practicing and it was tragic and, and obviously, but, you know, the the we hear these stories and I always tell people who's the loudest it's the negative people. Who writes the most Google reviews? The people that have the bad experience. The people that are doing great. It's not a very good story, to be honest, for the most part. It's true. You know, nobody wants to hear about somebody's success. As sad as that is, we don't. You know, we want the mess. We want to hear it. So that's what gets the – and people are usually looking for a solution. You know, when they're telling a story, sometimes they're looking for a solution. But – um you know, I think that's the other part of it. It's like we hear the we hear the one bad story in the sea of positives. Totally. I mean, drama does not exist without an audience. And and I think when you talk about an audience, where is the biggest audience? It lies on social media, on those Facebook support groups. I'm sure a lot of you out there are in support groups. You are, um, you know, you participate. You kind of look at it with some skepticism, but you're also like, but wait a second here. Should I, I got to have my eyes wide open too. So hopefully we can like set the record straight. It is not going to be... Um, you know, this is not without risk, like you're saying. Um, obviously, we feel and you will feel that the benefits, the rewards of doing this are just so far outweigh that. But we have to be extremely systematic in, in, in the way that we treat this um, to make sure that those things simply just do not happen. And, and you know, and we're not going to be afraid on this podcast to really go there and talk about the risks. What happens if you do leak? And what is that like? And what does that feel like? And how do you treat that? And how do you come through on the other side of that? Yes, that's terrible that that would happen to you if you were one who would have an issue. But how do we? Ha- how do you take the hand of your bariatric surgeon and say, you know what, I'm sorry this happened to you, but no matter what, I'm going to get you through it. And I think that you need to feel confident in, in that way when you're picking your bariatric surgeon as well. Absolutely. Um, so on that kind of talking about the leaks, that's more common with sleep, correct? Um, or... No, the, the leak, the sleeve, and the uh, the leak rates with sleeves and bypass is a fraction of a percent. Okay, and it's uh, it's it's very rare. So I'll back up and I'll tell um, you a little bit about um, the sleeve first. Okay. So right now in the U.S., um, there are about two hundred and fifty thousand bariatric surgeries performed each year. So of all the people that qualify, a quarter of a million though is less than 1% of all those that qualify. That's wild. So 99%, more than 99% of people that qualify for bariatric surgery are not getting it done. Oh, yeah. And you want to hear in Florida, it is 0.58% of all those that qualify in our beautiful state of Florida that get bariatric surgery. That's it. Wow. So it is something that um, there's a lot of reasons. We're going to tackle these as a community. I hope that we can unite our voice and really help to improve access to care. Um, Insurance is a big um, hurdle and a big issue for that. And looking at the numbers, um, so of those 250,000, about 60-70% of all bariatric surgeries in the country that are being performed are sleeves right now. So sleeve is a technically um, easier uh, surgery for the surgeon. Um, in my practice, though, I will say that gastric bypass, and I'm going to tell you a lot about it, I do believe is um, 
is, a, is it a better operation? Um, and with the gastric bypass, I'd say in my practice, I do about 75% of all surgeries that I do are the gastric bypass. Yeah. But I, do, I still think that the sleeve is a great operation. So we, we can dive into to all of that yeah. um, here as well. Yeah. So tell me what I know. And I know our patients, you may have heard this before. So <laughs> forgive us. Bear with us. But what is the sleeve procedure? Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So um, I, I got to equate it into size here. So think about your before stomach after you eat a meal. It's about the size of a football. And after the sleeve, your stomach will go down to about the size of a garden hose. So your new stomach will only be about 15 to 20% of the size that it is now. So it's called a sleeve that is a misnomer. It does not mean there's a sleeve device. It just means that your new stomach is like a sleeve or a sliver of what it once was. So there's no foreign body. There's no piece of plastic inside of you. So what we do is I put a sizing tube in. Anesthesia actually advances that. It's a 36 French, if you care to know the size that I make I them. I did want to know that. You Thank did? You. I thought you. I thought, I thought thought our listeners wanted to know as well. I so. So I don't want to make it. It's like a Goldilocks thing. Here's a, like a little equation. I don't want to make it too big, but I don't want to make it so tight that you can't eat or drink or even tolerate your saliva either. Mm-hmm. So I use a 36 French to guide me and to size it. And then I joke, I learned how to do this procedure in kindergarten because it's like cutting out a pattern. I see the, I see that along the lesser curve. And then what I do is I use a device that's a stapling device. And I have on one of my reels on Instagram, um, you can see how tiny the little staples are. Um, and then um, it will leave three rows on the sleeve side and then three rows on the portion of the stomach that's going to be removed. So I use a stapling that device that will staple the tissue. It will then seal it and then it will have a knife blade that separates it from itself so that I remove about 80 to 85% and then 15 to 20% stays in there. I do this through tiny little incisions. So I put a little incision probably to the right of your belly button. I hide it in the skin crease there or in a stretch mark. I do try to keep this very cosmetic because like you said, I want you wearing those bikinis and swim trunks, men and women. I want you guys to feel very comfortable. And then I, I pull it out. Sounds really nasty. It sounds really weird. And it is weird. It is weird. I saw that surgery. So when you're in your internship, bariatrics is one of the, usually one of the rotations you do as a dietetic intern. And uh, when I was doing mine, we had the opportunity to go in and watch like way in the back of the OR. My friend and I were like way in the back in our cute little scrubs. We have our little pictures of us. And um, we watched a sleeve procedure. And I remember being like, I don't think I knew what was going to happen. Like, I don't know that anyone had explained to me yet what surgery really was. And I was just like, what just happened? Like, they just, like, all of a sudden this thing is, like, dangling in the air. Oh, yeah. And now I've watched you do it a bunch of times. And it's like, oh, yeah. By that point, I'm usually She's bored by me now, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, she is bored. (laughs) I'm usually, like, trying to, like, make Instagrams for you. Um, But, yeah, but it was so interesting to see it that first time because it really does. It's like all of a sudden it's just, like, peace is there. And then it goes off to medical waste for anyone curious what happens to your sleeve. And then we we do also send it to pathology um, and they look at it under a microscope and um, they'll see either chronic inflammation or or it's normal or even sometimes a bacteria called H. pylori, which you might need antibiotics afterwards. Or even sometimes we'll do these benign tumors. They're called GIST, gastrointestinal stromal tumors. That can be on the specimen as well. Um, But normally the the margins are there and it's a benign finding. There's no um, uh, malignant uh, signs or potential in there. But anyway, so that is the part that gets removed. Moved. And then you're left with this little sleeve stomach. They're so cute. They are so cute. I mean, I, I, I do think that pouches and sleeve stomachs can be 
super cute. I'm like, oh my God, they're going to love it. That <laughs> one looks so good. Like when it lines up so beautifully, I'm like, oh my goodness. Like I get very excited when it when it's just like, oh, that was mwah, mwah, yeah. chef's kiss. That is perfect there, you know? <laughs> So um, now with the sleeve, um, after the so the procedure only takes about twenty to thirty minutes to perform. So it is a, like I said, it's it's a fairly straightforward procedure. On questions that you can ask your own bariatric practice, you could ask them about their own. You know, what are the risks? What are your what are your complication rates? How long does it take you to do the procedure? What size sizing tube do you use? Do you ever change that? I doubt they do. I never change it. Some people are like, make mine a little looser make mine a little tighter. No, everyone's getting the same size because I feel very confident um, that I have, you know, over the years really figured that out. And I've done over 4,000 operations at this point um, over the last decade. And so I do... um, I mean, can you imagine? It's just like seeing the same thing over and over again. I do the same. I do two procedures over and over, and I just, um, I just live and breathe. And I think about that anatomy. I just, I just see it. It's, it's, it's common to me. I look at stomachs more than I look at my own kids. Actually, that's a really weird um, revelation I just had. It's, uh, it's yeah. weird. Yeah. yeah. You do I, look at stomachs a lot. I do. I stare at people's stomachs. I stare at livers. I have a lot mm-hmm. of thoughts about like livers and what you eat, and it makes it look a certain way. I have a lot of theories on all of that as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, she, she loves she loves a pretty liver and a pretty omentum. Oh my gosh, I do. Yeah. Omentum is um just so that you guys know, it is the fatty apron that covers all of your guts, all of your mm-hmm. insides. So everybody, if you're no matter what your BMI is, has a uh, an omentum. Um, some are um thinner and a certain uh, texture of fat, and some are just thick and heavy. And that is that intra abdominal fat that is actually the dangerous fat. So if you have a visceral adiposity or a central distribution to your weight. That more intra-abdominal, that is what gives you the propensity to have the diabetes, coronary artery disease. Um, you know, when you hear like someone suddenly died, like in their sleep and they were fairly young, they typically have that um, unlucky central distribution to their weight, which is technically more challenging as well, especially if it's coupled with a very fatty liver. That can be very um, technically challenging for, for me to perform that surgery. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's yeah, if you got the hips, ladies, it's not. As, I do like my uh, hips. I do love my yeah. pear-shaped ladies. I'm yeah. not gonna lie. Yeah, a little less, a little, a little less on the worry side of some of that adipose distribution. So the bypass obviously is different from the sleeve. What's the, kind of the difference there? So the main technical cha- difference is if you look on the outside, if you look at the incisions, same. This is not more invasive not more invasive. It is still minimally invasive, little tiny incisions. I put two little incisions in or near the belly button, two pinky size incisions out to the side. So four total incisions, usually that's it. With the bypass stomach, again, goes from the size of a football, but this time just down to the size of a thumb. So this time, the stomach that will see food is only 5%. Now, unlike the sleeve gastrectomy, which means I removed 80%, with the bypass, I don't remove anything. So I am bypassing 95% of the stomach. So 95%, it's still inside of you. Don't worry. It is not floating in the air. It is not um, shriveling up and dying. It still has a great blood supply. I'm going to do a reel on this one to show you what this kind of looks like. And um, yes, that means in theory the bypass is reversible. But the way this works is food will go into your mouth. It then goes into that tube in your chest called the esophagus. It then goes directly into that thumb-sized pouch and then into the small intestine. So food and drink will go straight that way. And then the bypass stomach 
is still going into the first part of the small intestine. And then those digestive juices and enzymes that that part that's bypass is making will ultimately meet up with the food downstream at what looks like the letter Y. That's why it's called a root and Y, because where the food and the drink mix up from that point forward, kind of like the, the, the base of the Y, that's called the common channel. And that's where normal digestion and absorption will occur. Yes. And so that's, yeah, it's, it's it's so interesting to see the two surgeries happen. The sleeve, you're right. It's very straightforward, like when you look at it. And I think that's why a lot of people, you know, kind of veer towards that because they understand it. You can conceptualize it, right? And even watching surgeries, you can conceptualize it because you're like, okay, she'd snip, 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 the, you know, pop and we're, we're done. The bypass, like I understand it on paper. I watch you in surgery and I'm like, Who's that? Like, where where <laughs> is, is she that? at? She's like counting the intestine, you know, measuring down. And you can't yeah. twist anything. Yeah. You have to keep everything really precise. And, um, you know, you have your ways of marking things and tagging yeah. and, and doing all of that. But it's so interesting to see the difference. Like, but knowing on my end of things of like, yes, like you said, one's not necessarily inherently more invasive. Yeah, the bypass takes a little longer um, to complete because it's more complex in that way. But like sure. – up from the other perspective, I think a lot of people just, it's hard to wrap your head around it that is. idea. It is. Yeah. It takes about an hour operating time versus the sleeve, which is about a half hour. So some people are like, oh, I don't want to be on the table that much longer. But I think that that is kind of an insignificant amount of time for the benefits that could potentially come out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there is. So it looks, you want it to be a letter, letter, letter Y so that if it's the letter Y, that means your mouth is connected to your anus. That's what you want. That's what we want. But what Hannah was saying is I'm very, very diligent, don't worry, on double checking and triple checking and then quadruple checking to make sure I did not make a Rue and O. Because if I could make an O, that means that your mouth doesn't connect to the anus. It's all in a big circle there. It's like, and so that means that things are not going to go down and out. So that's what I'm checking to make sure I'm hooking up the right end to the right part. Mm-hmm. And um, don't worry. She she keeps track. I she keep track really and I mark track. it and I count and she's right. So that's yeah. funny that you notice that I'm I'm counting. I demand silence whenever I am counting and I am concentrating. No one is to speak, but mm-hmm. it's all good. Don't yeah, worry. It's all good. Um, and then you mentioned earlier, too, there's the revision from sleeve to bypass. And, you know, we do see that, I think, more and more often, it feels like to me. And I think we looked at some data before that showed that that revision surgery is becoming more common. So what's kind of the reason for for revision and why is it maybe becoming more common? Yeah. It, so about 5%, 1 in 20 of all the sleeves that are performed are ending up needing to be revised usually because of acid reflux. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the stomach, you kind of have a gatekeeper, if you will, between your stomach and your small intestine. It's called the pylorus. So the pylorus' job is to close after you eat or drink and stomach or food enters into that, or uh, juices or food enter into the stomach. And if that's closed and you have this skinny little sleeve stomach, that will create a high pressurized system where things will get pressurized or pushed or regurgitated back up. So things that should go from mouth to esophagus to stomach to small intestine are sitting in stomach and going back up through the diaphragm, the hiatus of the diaphragm, and into the esophagus. And that gives you that gastroesophageal reflux disease, GERD, heartburn, acid reflux pain. Mm-hmm. And some patients, they'll take medications. And even with the despite the anti-reflux medication, they cannot stand the reflux. Mm -hmm. And again, about one in 20 will end up needing to have another surgical intervention, or in this case, a conversion, a revision from a sleeve to a gastric bypass. So the sleeve is irreversible. 
I cannot put that part that I removed back in. I can't sew it back in, can't put it back in. It's gone, it's gone. But you can take a sleeve to a bypass. And also sometimes, especially if you had it more than 10 years ago, when we were just, the sleeve is still relatively new. I mean, it really hit popularity within the last decade. And so with that, we have a, um, it, it, it sometimes we didn't know that perfect sizing to, that Goldilocks size. And so some of these sleeves that I see that are older are wide, they're big. And I think that a lot of patients will think, does it stretch out? Is it, did I do this? Did I eat too much? And in reality, that's not the problem at all. The problem is that technically in the beginning, it was a mechanical issue that it was too wide made. And so I need to go in there and revise you to a bypass, but also re-sleeve the pouch. So I, I never do just a re-sleeving. I always would re-sleeve and then convert to a bypass if necessary for help with weight loss um, because it's still like a small amount. It's almost like a little bit bigger than like a sardine that comes out um, in terms of the storage capacity. So that is why there's revisions are done predominantly for acid reflux, hiatal hernias, or um, even weight regain. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to see that one because it's like, you know, people are like, I've already done this once. And then we get to read, we get to relearn everything. And it's a great opportunity for them to kind of come in and say, all right, let's get back on track. And, and we're always there to get people back on track with that. Absolutely. And to do some of the, you know, lifestyle interventions when it comes to GERD. Because but eventually there's only so much you can do, um, you know, but thinking of how it happens with the sleeve, it's almost like a, in pregnancy when you end up mm. with that GERD. Because it's like, you just got something pushing up. So on you all the time. Absolutely. Um, all right. So there's a couple other procedures that we d- you don't perform. The band right. and the balloon. Yeah. And what's the deal with those? Because we do see them every now and then. Sure. So the lap band, boy, there was a boom for that. And I guarantee at least one listener has the band. And you're nodding emphatically over this. The band, in theory... Makes sense. So what the band is, it is a piece of plastic. It is a a piece of plastic that encircles the stomach. It has tubing connected to it, and it ultimately has like a reservoir or a port that sits right under the skin. So with this port, you put a special needle, it's called a Huber needle, into that port, and it has fluid. And you can either inject fluid, it will then travel on the tubing and tighten it around the stomach. So that will give you more restriction. Or you loosen it, and then it will ultimately um, allow more food to go in. So there's, they called it like a green zone. It's like, all right, not too tight, not too loose is still, um, you know, very, very similar. So with the band, the problem is, is that a lot of bodies, most people's bodies just don't like it. They don't like that foreign body being in there. And so there's this chronic inflammatory state, or even the liver will encapsulate around it, or even um, omentum that we talked about will start to sock to it or try to like wall it off or seal it off. And I do believe that some of these autoimmune conditions, these inflammatory states are secondary to having the band in. So you'll see an increased risk of rheumatoid arthritis, psoriasis. It's very bizarre. It's just my theory on this. Other things are, if it's so tight, it can give you a lot of um, reflux. It can give you um, a a dysphagia, which is a difficulty in swallowing, especially with um, protein. So to be compliant with the recommendations, you want a higher protein diet. But if you vomit or it hurts very badly every time you try to swallow that, you're going to go more towards the slider foods, which are typically higher in carbs or maybe even sugar. And it almost makes it impossible to follow the rules and lose the weight. So if you have a band and you're struggling, like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. Like I already went through this once, like you just said. And like now I've just been miserable for the last 10 to 15 years because that's typically how long people will wait and suffer unnecessarily. 
If you feel that way, please come see us. We'll take it out. We can revise you. I like to revise bands to gastric bypasses in a single stage operation. And the results are tremendous. Even the way the saliva goes down after the procedure, they swallow that so much easier in the recovery room. And guess what? It works. I promise you, you can still lose weight when you have the, the right operation for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what's really, really cool to see too in those. It's like people have been suffering for so long and we can come in and it's like, you don't have to. So if you're out there and you are suffering and you're like, you know what, it's only been five years and and I should wait longer. Like, no, let's help you like live your best life. Totally. You know? I know. You don't have to feel ashamed that mm-hmm. you did something wrong. Have it evaluated. I yeah. mean, there is no judgment here whatsoever. If I always feel like if a patient is coming to me, especially after being away from a bariatric practice, whether that be my own patients or other people's patients and they're seeking out care. I always listen to that very closely because there's a reason why they're taking time out of their life. They're making the appointment. They're getting back into the, like, why are you doing that? You're definitely suffering. And then to answer your question about the balloon, so the balloon is in, is a procedure that is done endoscopically. It is not a surgical procedure. So in other words, even a gastroenterologist can go down into the mouth with a scope, an endoscope, um, an EGD scope, and then they place a balloon and then they inflate it once it gets into the stomach. The balloon is actually, it looks kind of like a breast implant or it kind of looks like a paperweight, if you will. It's, it's heavy and it sits there and it makes you very nauseous. It makes you like, really does take away your appetite. Mm -hmm. But that is something that, um, you know, uh, it might help you to lose weight, but it is a temporary procedure. So those balloons must come out. And there is a lot of um, relapse or regain. There's some decent literature out there to say that it works in the short term, but the long term results in my um, review are simply just not there yet. Yeah. Yeah. And I think something we haven't really talked on, and I know we're going to do a whole episode about it, but we haven't talked really about the hormones. Mm, And I think to me, reading about the different surgeries as one of the big changes that happens with either sleep or bypass is you get this big hormonal change. And we talked a little bit about it, about with the diabetes improving and PCOS improving. But one of those things is your hunger and fullness hormones. Um, And we can, like I said, we're going to get absolutely in depth about those, but you don't get that hormonal change when you do one of these devices. So people will still feel like they're hungry but they can't eat because they have this thing in the way. But oh, their hormones yes. are being produced by the stomach still. And exactly. Saying, feed me, feed me. Totally. Yeah. Our podcast episode coming up is called Ghrelin Be Gone. There and we go. we're going to talk about ghrelin and leptin and all these appetite uh, hormones and the regulation and how it impacts your metabolism. And um, we'll get a little nerdy, but I think it's going to be in a way that is simple to understand and like, Oh, that makes a lot of sense. sense, And and I think it also comes back to, it is not your fault. This is a legitimate disease. I know that sounds cliched or it sounds like, oh, we're used car salesmen. But sometimes it is a disease and you need the best treatment that exists for it. Well, and there's so many people who are in denial that obesity is a Mm. disease state. Mm. Um, And there's providers that don't believe that. They think it's all... Eat less and move more. And mm. that's part of the equation. Absolutely. I'm I'm a dietitian. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that lifestyle does not play a role in your body. Of course it does. But it is like a piece of the pie. And, you know, when we look at that as a whole and we really treat this as a disease state, that's when we get to see, okay, we need a treatment for this. We don't need guidance. We don't need guidelines. Like, we need a treatment. Absolutely. And there's medications out there available now. You know, that's 
um, another avenue that's very interesting and very promising. And then, of course, surgical options. And all of that goes alongside lifestyle intervention and lifestyle management. But I think it's it's when we start to put all these like pieces together is where we see the actual success. Totally. And I think with that, what you're saying, there's these three big things here, these buckets of lifestyle intervention, diet, and exercise. There's medications and, and, and medically supervised nutritional therapy that goes along with taking a medication and being educated. And then there's surgical options. And I think that... Um, it's not like surgery is the end point and then it's like, okay, there's a straight line and there's a finish line. Like I've said in the last podcast, this is a continuum and you might hit a plateau or gain weight. You probably will. I think everybody does. And then maybe you insert a medication or maybe the sleeve was wide and you might even need a surgical revision. And there may be, you need to look at changing up your diet and meeting in level setting with your dietitian. Like you constantly got to reevaluate and evolve. And again, this is a lifelong project um, that you're embarking on um, together with us and, and with, you know, with all of your healthcare providers. Absolutely. But hopefully you don't have to see your healthcare providers as often after after surgery. That's Absolutely. The goal. <laughs> that is the goal. Yes. We want you off of those other medications. Um, Just the simple once a year. Wow. We'll You're doing you. awesome. Yeah. We'll see you. We'll you don't need all these meds. Let, let, let those be gone too. Absolutely. All right. So we touched on a little bit earlier, but insurance. Mm. Oh my gosh. Mm. We have a whole team that has to deal with insurance. I mean, it, the amount of work it takes to get insurance coverage for this surgery is sometimes honestly just astounding. It's astounding. It's, it's criminal. It yeah. is. It is. Um, you know, we get a lot of leads. We get a lot of interested patients. So, you know, you already heard the Florida statistics, less than 0.6% of all those qualify. I get it. Okay. So why is that? Well, there are a lot of exclusions in the state of Florida. There's some big, big insurance commercial payers that exclude it. There are some big, in, there's some big employees, some big employers rather, who uh, have don't have that sponsored as part of their benefit in their health plan. Um, there are, you know, self-pay rates are very high in the U.S. So sometimes that makes it cost prohibited. It's it is so frustrating that of all the leads that we get, less than 25% of them are what we call like viable leads in terms of they have the coverage and it's and it's affordable. And that is something that we have got to change. We have got to make these surgeries um, more mainstream, more popular, normal. I think that the patients pay a, a key role in that. And we haven't tapped into their voice enough Mm -hmm. to this point. And that's um, something else I want to kind of unite the payers, medical device companies, which is industry, the hospitals, ambulatory surgery centers, and then you, the patients. And together, I feel that we can change the landscape around obesity treatment coverage and um, whether that be medications and or surgery and and why. And here's the data. Like, here's the data. Here's the cost effectiveness of it. Here are the direct impact on costs. The direct impact on your workplace productivity, your decrease in absenteeism, your decrease in co-pays, your decrease in medication spend, all of those cross that from this chronic disease state, um, it's, there's a huge ROI or return on invice, investment with this. And, um, and that's something that I am extraordinarily passionate, as I know you are too, in trying to um, just change the mindset, but be part of the solution too, not just that you must do this, but here's a way that we can do this where we all, it's mutually beneficial, where we all can come together, whether that be a price or a, a location in which we offer care or yeah. you know, all of it. We have to improve access to care. Absolutely. So if any any lobbyists are listening, yeah, uh, help me out. Reach out to us. Um, <laughs> 
No, and I, that's it. It is so interesting because we see people, and we see people trying so hard, mm. and just they are on top of it. You know, we give everyone um, their list of requirements that they have to do. We, you know, they have their meeting with you, and then they go and they, you know, they have to get this test done. They have to get a letter of support from their doctor or their their psychiatrist, you know, psychiatric provider, and all of these different kinds of things. They may have some meetings with me. I promise they're super fun. Um, <laughs> and you know, they people are jumping through these hoops, but I think the the worst was seeing the patient whose primary care physician told them that uh, this was a cosmetic procedure mm. and they weren't going to cover it. I was ready to find the office. Totally. I was going to barge it. I mean, I was going to storm and be like, excuse me, you want to tell me about how this is a cosmetic procedure? Um, uh-uh. Here's the reasons why. And I was going to, you know, have PowerPoint. I just never found the office, so... Yeah, I know. I think no, she found another doctor. There is a lot of ignorance. You've already said it that exists still amongst providers and amongst society. And um, you know, it's it, the, bariatric surgery is a grassroots kind of uh, spreading of this. That, like you said, I do you, and then hopefully you'll send your loved ones and your friends, and they're like, "What you have? I want that. I want you what you're having." And then that's how it spreads. Which. Um, you know, and there's also if you look at mainstream media, there's not a lot of good stuff out there about it there either. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's shows that we talk about this constantly, like my 600 pound life, thousand pound sisters, where it's almost, um, it's it's almost it's, it's sad. It's almost like ridiculing these poor people who are putting their their lives out there, and that is not the typical bariatric patient by any means. So if you see that, you're like, well, I'm not that big, mm-hmm. but in fact, you would qualify and you would do have tremendous uh, success with this. And so I would love to have, we should have our own Netflix show after this podcast is our first step. And then, you know, Netflix or bust, right? It'll be on in one week. Yeah, one week. we're on Betsy's schedule, we'll start that next week. Must operate with a sense of urgency. (laughs) Yeah. We have to change the world. We do. We're running out of time. Lady, we're running out of time. (laughs) We must do this. We must do this. All right. Well, I think that that's the basics of bariatrics. Oh, I know. There's a lot of nitty gritty details, which stay tuned. We We have tons of episodes coming your way. Absolutely. We just have scratched the surface. So please reach out to us. Follow us on Instagram. We're at Dr. X Dietitian. You can follow myself and Dr. Dovek as well. I'm hannahskyler.rd. And I am Dr. Dovek, D-R-D-O-V-E-C, all one word. All one word. So thank you so much for tuning in. We are the Dr. Dietitian Collab. See you next time. Thanks again. Bye.